0: On this episode, I'm in the room with pastor, professor, and author David Murray discussing the challenges of anxiety and depression. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 74. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley, and for those of you who may not be familiar with me, I am the founding and lead pastor of Ridgeline Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm also the author of Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. In the Room is my opportunity to have conversations with authors, artists, professors, pastors in order to learn about virtually every topic imaginable and to give you a chance to listen in. Today, I'm talking for the third time with David Murray. David is now the senior pastor of First Byron Christian Reformed Church. He's also an experienced counselor and the author of numerous books, including two new projects on how to help teens and parents both deal with the increase in anxiety and depression that is taking place in teens' lives. One of the things I've always found most helpful about my conversations with David as well as every single one of his books is that he always tackles problems in a holistic manner, meaning he never reduces any issue to only a spiritual issue or only a physical or emotional issue. Instead, David acknowledges that God has created us as whole people and that most of the problems we face can only be properly addressed when we address the entire person. Now to find links to these two books as well as links to order his other books, books, to follow him on social media, or to check out his new podcast, make sure you visit the In The Room Facebook page. And to never miss an episode, and to get more information about my guests, make sure you like that page. You can find it at facebook.com itrpodcast ITR podcast. Now, sadly, David and I had a few audio issues recording our conversation, so you may notice a few bumpy spots, but I trust it's not going to cause you to miss the wisdom that David has to share. So come on in the room for my conversation with David Murray. Well, David, thanks so much for coming back on in the room. I think this is the third time that we've chatted and I think you're the only person I've talked to three times. I've talked to Joe Thorne twice and both times afterwards, I decided that was two more times than I wanted to talk to Joe Thorne. So Maybe
1: it's because I'm, my conversations with you are so forgettable. No. Uh, you just have to think, oh, did I interview that guy? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. We'll do it again anyway.
0: Now, the truth is, I would like to talk to you about anything just so I get to hear your beautiful accent.
1: (laughs) Well, I charge extra for that, so.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, just for people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you give us a look? I mean, clearly you're not uh, here from the States, but you do live here now and uh, are a a bunch of different things. But why don't you just kind of give us uh, a a quick version of your backstory? Yeah, sure thing.
1: Well, I was blessed with a Christian home, a Christian set of parents, but uh, rebelled against that in my teens. Thankfully, God in his mercy chased me down in my early 20s and drew me to himself in just a very powerful, sovereign, gracious way. And not long after, I felt a very strong call to the ministry, served a little bit overseas in Eastern Europe, just as the Iron Curtain was coming down, then realized I need some training. So Ended up going to uh, university, then seminary for six years, pastored in Scotland for 12 years, then was called to the States and came here 2007 to serve as Professor of Old Testament and Pastoral Theology at Puritan Formed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, I've just finished up there just a few days ago. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, I don't think you knew that. No, I didn't. All right. Well, I've been feeling over the last year or so a very strong pull back to pastoral ministry. I mean, I've always been a pastor at heart. Felt called to be training pastors, but you know, as as you get older, I'm now 54. You think, well, you know, I just want to get back to soul winning and get on the front line again and get down the mine. And it's it's sort of the difference between. I suppose training people to bake a cake and actually baking it yourself, uh, or training someone to fish and actually going fishing yourself. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back fishing again, and thankfully, it just so happened I was I was supplying a local church here who lost a pastor, and over the months we just grew very close together and started there as pastor last Saturday uh, officially. That's awesome. sermon officially on Sunday. And then my daughter got COVID on Monday, which means no. <laughs> that everything paused because we've all got a quarantine now for a week.
0: Oh, I'm so bummed it. That that part is not great about your story, but I'm I am really excited that you're headed back into that full time. But but tell me, like one of the things I think that's really unique about you is you have written a lot on mental and emotional health, and and but you're not a therapist. You are a professor of what old testament and and pastoral theology, which doesn't necessarily seem like a natural transition into mental and emotional health. so how did, how did how did these two things how do these two things exist in you, to be honest, and and how did you find your way into uh, caring so much about this topic of emotional health?
1: I mean, I've always been a Bible guy, I've always loved the Bible and always have seen the suitability and sufficiency of the Bible for all spiritual issues in this world. Um, But I was really forced into the counselling field when my own wife suffered with really bad depression around about our fourth child. And it wasn't an area that I'd really understood much before, so that forced me into it. And really started reading and learning and talking and began to really appreciate the holistic nature of things like depression, anxiety. That wasn't just a spiritual problem, it's usually a spiritual element to it, but not always a purely spiritual cause, which was a bit of a revolution for me because I'd always, in my ignorance, thought, you know, these things must be the result of a personal sin. Um, so that, that was a journey and... Um, just continue to learn in that way. People, I began to write on it informally, casually. People began interacting with me, just kept learning. And it seemed to produce a message that resonated with people, this holistic approach to mental health, rather than the extremes of it's it's all medical or it's all spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to navigate that tension over the years, has been a, an ongoing journey. I can't say I've arrived. I think we're all liable to fall off one side of that, and everyone's so different. And I've had my own burnouts as well, which has also taught me my own weakness and frailty and the impact of the body and the soul, the soul and the body, and things like that. So just a lot of things have gone into the mix. And as you say, Ryan, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I don't have any professional qualification, but... I think God has qualified me in the sense of a good, strong biblical foundation together with life experience and hopefully continuing to learn at the feet of Christ as to how to be a counselor as he was to people as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you were for sure one of the first people that I ever heard talk or write about mental and emotional health from a holistic perspective. And that's certainly one of the things that I've appreciated the most and your new really two books uh, live in that same vein and that you've written kind of companion resources for both teenagers and parents on the topics of anxiety and depression. So the parents version is why is my teenager feeling like this? And then the teenagers version is why am I feeling like this, which was a very, very smart idea. So just first to start with that. But maybe speak a little bit to why, why tackle both anxiety and depression uh, in the same book. How are those two things related? Because I think in many people's minds, that's two separate issues. And so what, what led you to choose to write about both of them simultaneously? Yeah, that's
1: that's a good point, Ryan. I actually started off as a book on, on anxiety for teens. Then as began to write uh, and interact with people, realized hey, we really need one for parents as well. Because especially teens, they need the help of their parents if they're going to make progress And this. Parents need to understand what's going on and how they can help. It's very hard for a teen to make progress without the support and involvement of their parents. So that was really step one in the development. And then as we went on, just I, I kept realising you know, there's so much overlap between depression and anxiety. You're right, they're not exactly the same. But about 50% of cases of anxiety also come with depression. Um, And also, a lot of the remedies for both are the same, Hmm. even though they are different in experience, even though some people only have one or the other. Yet a lot of the remedies were similar. So it's really a book mainly focused on anxiety in teens, but we hope it will sort of kill two birds with one stone, rather than, you know,
0: waste a few more trees and Mm -hmm. fill the world with more books. No, I mean, I do. I I think it's uh, great that they're both in there because it it does seem culturally over the last 10 years that um, talk uh, and writing and normalization of anxiety has definitely increased. I think we hear so much more about that. Depression still seems like it's almost like a a dirtier secret, like to have that in your closet, to be struggling with that is less acceptable or less culturally normative. So I think putting both of those things together was, was really great. It's clearly a very timely topic. I mean, I was looking again this morning, I mean, 40 million Americans reportedly dealing with anxiety in some fashion or form less than 40 percent are getting any amount of help for that. And, and one of the things I really appreciate um, in the book, I spent most of my time as a parent in the book for parents. And I really appreciate the way that you outlined common causes. And again, this comes back to your uh, thinking and conviction re- regarding this being a holistic issue. And so what are some of the factors that you see most commonly that are causing anxiety and depression? Yeah, the you're, you're right. I mean, The statistics
1: are horrifying. And it's interesting, you know, when Crossway told me a year or so ago they were going to publish them in July of 2020, I I actually asked them, hey, could you delay it till the fall? Because that's actually when depression and anxiety peaks in teens. Mm -hmm. It's mainly associated with going back to school, summer over, things like that. But no, they had their their schedule, and they've turned out quite
0: prophetic in yeah. a way. <laughs> yeah, little did you know there was going to be a, a mass pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah. So I think in terms of common causes,
1: where I often go first with parents is pressure—the pressure that we're putting on our kids. You think, for example, of the amount of pressure that is coming for academic success, sports success. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids have got to get all their friendships, uh, all the ducks in a row. Uh, there's voluntary work they've got to do. They're trying to keep summer jobs going. They're trying to get scholarships. There's all the pressure that comes from social media. I think this is leaving our teens extremely frazzled. Uh, the level of expectation is way higher. It's, it's also the constant pressure. So I think, you know, we have to train our teens to get ready for these peaks in life, when you know there's a lot coming at us at one time, but with teens, what I'm seeing is they're having to live at that for a very long period of time, maybe the whole school year. Uh, you know, with constant testing, constant exams, assignments, projects, sport, sport on top of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're having to, you know, aim for scholarships or jobs so they can save up for college. They're trying to get into these best schools. It's just massive, yeah. and it's so, so different to anything I remember in my own childhood and as I talk to parents, So there's that component. I think another big one is the digital technology element, which all the science is now really helping us to see the damage that this is doing to the young teen, very tender, sensitive brain, and the chemicals that that is Um, inciting and provoking at very high levels again. Adrenaline, cortisol, again, good to have that every now and again, get used to these peaks of excitement, but we are not supposed to live at that level all the time. It's very damaging to our organs, our, our brain development. I think when you actually put these together, the pressure, digital technology, social media, you then have this Massive consequence of reduced sleep. Mm. Uh, Teens actually need nine to ten hours of sleep a night for for a healthy development, and we're down at about six or seven. Um, and and it's very shallow sleep as well because mm-hmm. the technology is being used so late at night. So they're really living um, off very little sleep, very poor quality sleep. And therefore, again, the brain is not being flushed out. Somebody's called sleep the washing machine of the brain or the garbage disposal mm-hmm. of the brain. So just a lot of these things, Ryan, that are cultural and, and very hard to fight against. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think on top of that, you've got family instability, uh, social instability, you think of... You know, the gender confusion, the riots, things like that. Just a lot of uncertainty in the teen world today, again, compared with past years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've I've, I've wondered for years now if is is anxiety or mental health in general, is it actually getting worse and escalating or is our awareness of it growing and it's probably a combination of both but clearly in what you're finding and in what you're saying and writing it's it's actually increasing it's not just that our awareness is higher than what it once was but there are actual cultural factors that are contributing to a rise in these things am i hearing you right in that
1: Yes, Ryan, although I think you do make a good point, it's important to see that one of the benefits of our culture is we are more willing to talk. Still not as much as we should be, mm-hmm. but far more than past last generation. So yes, there's going to be more awareness of it, more willingness to talk, more willingness to reach out. But again, if you talk to counsellors, the, the level of anxiety that they're finding in people that come to them is just way higher objectively speaking than, than anything they had before there's one counselor i remember saying when she started 24 years ago one in 20 was anxiety 120 kids and now it's 16 out of 20 wow yep so, so it's, a, it's a big problem and enough. um i think it's going to take a lot of work to undo
0: Yeah, I mean, so you you spend a good portion of time, um, especially in the early chapters of the parent book, on outlining some of these causes, and and why why do you think that it is uh, so important? How how does understanding the cause inform the approach to addressing it? Because again, you know, if we're kind of of this mindset that is, this is kind of a one note problem in that it's just a spiritual problem. So the answer is, you know, whatever, pray more, read the Bible more, whatever. We miss these other things. So how does understanding the cause really inform our approach to addressing it?
1: Yeah, I think trying to get to causes is important for a couple of reasons. One is what you've said until you know causes, you really, you're just stamping in the dark when it comes to cure. But I think also causes help us to feel in control. Anxiety depression often feels to the person like, this just came out of the blue. I'm a total passive victim here. I have no idea what's happening. That's a horrible feeling as a a person to go through. But when a person's helped to see, well, this happened, this happened, you did that, you didn't do that, um, this person did that to you, and you begin to see this multiplying of factors. You kind of begin... A, a little light goes on in the mind and in the heart that begins to give understanding, that begins to give a person a sense of control, that they're not just passive, they're not just victims, that, that they can actually get a handle on this. And that's a big motivator for pursuing help as well.
0: Yeah. You know, I know as a parent... To, to face and acknowledge some of these things that are happening in our kids in general can be very difficult and hard to process ourselves. And we don't want anything to actually be wrong with our kids or for them to struggle. But when you think about in your experience and what you've heard, talk to me about some of the biggest mistakes that the, that parents can make in dealing with an anxious or depressed kid or teen. Yes,
1: yeah, So I think the, It's very damaging to kids when they are too afraid to raise this or when they do raise it, they are shut down or condemned or just Mm -hmm. don't like, you know, pick yourself up, get Mm -hmm. a grip, um, pray, whatever. Uh, But I think another area of, of harm is when parents themselves never talk themselves about their own struggles. So that's one of the things I've really tried to cultivate in my own home, and amongst our own kids, just the normal abnormality of mental illness. We don't talk of people inside our home or outside the home with depression, anxiety as weird or queer or weak, but sympathetically, caringly, lovingly, and and then also ourselves, just you know, admitting at times to dark times, anxious times praying about these things, asking for prayer from our kids as well. I think all these things can only encourage kids and oil the path for good discussion when these things will arise in their lives.
0: Yeah, we've had, I have three kids. Um, My oldest is 12. So she's nearing the teenage years. Um, And then I have a a 10 year old and a seven year old. But You know, that we've had some early expressions of anxiety come out in them. There's some mental health issues that run through my family as well. Um, But I started seeing a therapist uh, last November, and I've tried to be very open with them about that. And it's been fascinating to watch the impact of that, the way that it opens them up to be able to talk about, like, my son and I had another conversation the other day about his anxiety. And it's interesting to watch him talk about it because of the way that it's been talked about in our home. He seems to have at this age at 10, virtually zero stigma attached to it. Just like, this is just something that I deal with as far as he doesn't seem to have the shame, you know, that so many, that so many of us who are older carry around our mental health issues. So it really is amazing what just talking about my own brokenness, the impact that it's had in opening them up.
1: Yeah, Ryan, you've given your kids a wonderful gift there, and I commend you for it. Um, the I think very very few of us realise how much our past impacts our present as well, yeah. and I think these times give us opportunity to go back and to look at things, not to blame other people, um, but just to understand ourselves better, and recognize that things that happened 10, 20, 30, even longer ago can, can bubble up, even if they've been very dormant for, for many, many years. So although our kids may not have any present issues that you're giving them a memory and a method for future times and everyone goes through it eventually. Sure. If it's not in your teens in your twenties, if it's not in your twenties. I mean, some people I'm seeing it in their sixties and seventies and they're dealing with things related to their childhood. Mm-hmm. So er, the earlier the better, yeah. um, the sooner the better, and normalizing the abnormal.
0: How often do you think that uh, an anxious parent is a factor in an anxious teen?
1: Yeah, I think there are two areas there. So the one that you mentioned there, the genetic element, is... It's not usually, I don't like to talk of it as an automatic, it's definitely going to be transferred. Usually it takes a trigger uh, for the kid's own genetic element to be uh, brought out. Um, And, of course, some will escape it. But even, you know, there are many parents who don't have any genetic background but they've adopted the cultural norms the, mm-hmm. and the anxiety that is characterizing so many parents about their kids and their future and things like that. So I think the, if, if parents can reduce the level of expectation on themselves, then that will reduce the level of expectation on kids. Because sometimes we're, we're pushing our kids because we want people to think well of us, Right, um, And our kids are suffering as a result of that. And I think we need to be countercultural there ourselves. And in the process, I think we'll help our kids to thrive and, and just be in a much less pressured atmosphere. You know, when I was younger, I'm, I'm only 54, but, you know, 30, 35 years ago, I was going through school. I reckon about 15% of us went to college, university, and I wasn't one of them. I didn't. Yeah, I was useless at school. Yeah, a late developer in the extreme. Um, but today, you know, we've got fifty percent, and pressure for more, and there, and there's just no way that fifty percent of kids are up to going to college, hmm. um, and and will thrive there, as evidenced by the twenty to twenty five percent dropout rate. So I think if we can just even wind that back a little bit yeah we want our kids to excel and do well but wind it back a little bit give them time it may not be that they follow the normal pattern they may be late developers but far better that they flourish from within without encouragement rather than that we sort of put a, 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 a very tight mold upon them that they must conform to that just squeezes the life out of them
0: yeah, it's interesting cuz on top of the the pressure of those who are in college you have the added, you know, numbers that are widely known and out there now of the lack of jobs that exist mm. for you know, so many of these kids that are coming out of college right now. Mike Rowe, you know, who used to host mm. that show Dirty Jobs, he's done he's got a phenomenal TED Talk on that topic, but he's done great work trying to increase the I don't know, just, just trying to bring, bring respect ships. yeah, respect Goal. back to some of these yeah. other kinds of professions that I think, honestly, we've just so degraded, um, by elevating, you know, it's like, you're not a success unless you're a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, I just don't, I don't think biblically, I don't think that's true. I don't think God sees it that way. No, and, to. and to your point, it's really, uh, I think it's really damaging a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And it actually is a very unhealthy life that is being held out, you know, four, five, six years of studying, then a sedentary job for the next 30, 40 years sitting at desk with computers. Um, I don't think that's how we were made. We are made to, you know, work in a garden and we're made to be upright. My own two older boys, one's 24, one's 22. The oldest one, he's he's in the Marine Corps Reserves and he runs his own painting business. The other guys just start his own handyman service so they're both very handy, unlike me, totally mm-hmm. unhandy. Um, <laughs> but they they're really happy in what they do, and they, you know they go out, they work in a, a very vigorous, energetic, focused way. There's tons of work. They get paid ridiculous amounts of money for what they do because there are so few doing it. Yeah, and you know as Mike Rowe says, the opportunities are out there for a well-paid life, and a healthy life, a very satisfying life. Where you actually have a, something you produce at the end of the day. Yep. And <laughs> that's a far better life than, is.
0: than a call center. Yeah, totally. And one recommendation I really appreciated in your book was your, especially as a parent, is that, is your stress on the importance of recruiting a team. You know, if you've got an anxious or a depressed team going through a season like that, that it's not, I think it's very overwhelming as a parent when, the vast majority of us are not therapists, are not counselors, not pastors, don't have any training in this whatsoever. And now you essentially have a a client or patient living in your home. And so how do you recommend going about discerning? I think two things, what type of help is needed and then who needs to be on that team?
1: Right. So I think you know, obviously, if you have the books here, it gives you a starting point. Yep. Um, I think it's even if you're using the books early on. I talk about this. I think it's always worth just going to get a medical input to it. Okay. Your family doctor, and just just run it past them. He may just say, "Okay, let's keep an eye on this. Do these things. You know, good diet, good exercise, good sleep, reduce the pressure a bit." And let's just watch, but you've now given him, him or her a benchmark for your kid, something to measure them against to see that maybe in a month's time we'll come back, is he or she worse? Or, you know, is it stabilized? Is it getting better? We don't want to rush to meds unnecessarily, which, you know, there's a lot of pressure to do that and get instant results. If you can get better without that, it's, it's by far the better. Yeah. So I think a doctor will help there. Uh, secondly, I think you want to involve your pastor, because uh, usually, I mean, he's not going to be an expert, but he'll have had some exposure usually. Yeah, And you do want a spiritual component. Even if there's a non-spiritual cause, there's still a spiritual component. So, you know, you want to build in a good pastoral advice into Bible, prayer, fellowship, support, encouragement from the church. And the pastor can be very helpful there. Or a youth group leader. Um, and and then maybe, if need be, a counsellor who's dealing with this kind of thing all the time. I've got a couple of local people I refer to. Not all the time, but, you know, if, if the pastor, myself, the doctor is not really making any headway, then I think you need to go a bit deeper, get someone who's specialised in this. But I would say a good 80% of cases will resolve with good common sense measures, spiritual input, medical input, and some patients.
0: Yeah, and for most, I mean, I think in in hopefully uh, at least somewhat of a majority of these cases, a lot of this is, is a season that you walk through, that you go through. There are, you mentioned this even in the book, there are you know, some instances when you have a potentially dangerous situation on your hands when a kid is struggling so severely that they could take a, a step towards self-harm or even ending their own life. So for people and parents who might be listening, what would be some signs that you have a potentially dangerous situation on your hands that it's that at this point, it's not just continue to do your best and be loving and empathetic and talk to your pastor. Even like when, when is there some signs that we're moving into something that's potentially more dangerous than that?
1: Yep. Um, I think first of all, obviously self harm is a step on the way to, um, even more serious harm. So any amount of self harm, it needs professional help. Yeah, so that's just a, a very simple way. But especially with boys, there's there's usually not self harm, at least in a visible way. So I think what you're looking for is um, when kids totally isolate themselves in their room. They they are. Spending hours and hours alone, they come home and go straight there. There's no communication. There's no contact. They've cut off friends. There, they may be spending hours on social media, often on unhealthy sites. So I think you're looking for that prolonged uh, self isolation. That's that's a warning sign. Any language along the lines of um, "I wish I wasn't here." Um, It'd be better for people if I wasn't here.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Language that hints has to be followed up on. And either you, yourself, or, you know, bring it to somebody who's a professional. Parents shouldn't be afraid to ask, you know, talk to me about this. I'm just concerned. I'm hearing this, not in a condemning way. Like you shouldn't say things like, you're not planning to end your life, are you? Because mm-hmm. the kid's just going to say, "Oh no, 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 not me." Um, but you know, look, I'm I'm just a bit concerned. I'm hearing you're kind of a wee bit switched off, and you're talking a bit negatively about life. Well, t- talk to me about that. Is that? Are you beginning to think of like life would be better if it was over? So you're trying to find euphemistic ways to speak, mm-hmm. but still pretty direct. You know, they've got to know what you're getting at. Yeah, and if I know some people say, well, surely that'll put ideas in their head. Not usually, That it's the it's the professional advice to ask that question. If they say yes, you know, just that's 999 time. It's blue lights flashing. Yep. Don't ignore it. Don't delay it. Um, bring in help. And um, obviously, if you're beginning to see things like an obsession with weapons or knives or you know medications maybe turning up in weird places or numbers of meds reducing in a strange mm-hmm. way you're, you're looking out for things like that
0: okay so what do you think the biggest encouragement you want to give parents who are living with an anxious or a depressed teen because it can it's such a i mean i i have younger kids that have struggled with anxiety And I think about how the emotional toll that's taken on me. And we're not even talking about in the teen years, which can be so much more complicated. Mm -hmm. So when, and as a parent, you think about just how complicated and difficult this task is. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage parents who are living with an anxious or a depressed teen
1: yeah, Ryan, it is agony. I mean, you'd rather you'd rather suffer it yourself than yeah. see your child go through it. How awful though it is, you'd still rather suffer it yourself. Um, I think the biggest hope I can give is if you use the means God has provided, you'll get through it. And you won't just get through it; you'll get through it better than you were before. It's. Anxiety and depression is like a training ground for future usefulness. I know it doesn't feel like that and maybe it doesn't help to say that at the time, but any of us who have gone through it or seen others go through it, you, you know that you're you're better equipped at the end of that, not just for your own challenges, but for helping others. As Second Corinthians 1, we comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted of God. I've seen people really anxiety and depression has made them it it may have broken them for a time but it's ultimately made them what they are and it's it's made them useful it's made them better Christians better people more humble more helpful more servant spirited so I think that too it's not just you'll get better you'll get better you'll be better Mm -hmm. and it become more useful um and use the means though, you know, don't don't just tough it out and, and really help your kids in terms of exercise, especially get them outside, take them out in the outdoors, get them beside the water, um, do activities with them, get these bodies moving, healthy food and um, hopeful conversation around them. So... If I, if I look back in our own family, I think one of the mistakes I made, and it's partly through living church, through church splits, was a lot of negativity in the air. Mm-hmm. So just trying to uh, change that dynamic in the home, trying to find the good, trying to find the positive in them, in others, in situations, in the world, uh, try and keep them away from the media. Yeah. Uh, because that's just, you know, it's like a, it's like a mental illness machine. and and trying to get digital technology under control on the whole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. This, your comment made me think of this when you talked about anxiety and depression, making us better as we get through it. Uh, We were coming back from camping just the other day for a few days, uh, me and my boys and my daughter, and uh, we pass the office where my therapist works out of on the way home. And so I pointed out to him and I said, Hey, that's where, you know, daddy goes to therapy. And, that opened up this conversation with my son about his struggles with it with, with anxiety. And completely like, I didn't set him up for this. He said, I'm really glad that um, I had to wrestle with this anxiety over the last couple of years because it really taught me how to deal with it and uh what I can get through. And I was like, as a 10-year-old, you know, to make that to already be able to see. And to make that connection was like, was just like, I was just like, this is, a, this is one of the great parenting moments in my life. And I didn't even do anything, <laughs> but it was, but, but to your right. point, and it well, really well. was, it was an incredible thing to hear a 10 year old boy, be able to articulate that. Yep. So I, I want to shift think- gears just for a second. Cause I want to talk about, in addition to teens, uh, as a pastor and, uh, you're a pastor and I have a lot of pastor friends, you know, especially this year. Uh, it just seems like we collectively are struggling as well. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked in in the name of helping everyone else through everything they're going through. We don't even always do a great job of stopping to take stock of our own souls through all of this. And so I, I was just wondering if you have any advice to pastors right now in light of the dumpster fire that is 2020 that we're all living through, um, are there any unique causes to the depression, anxiety that many of us are feeling? Just any advice that you might have specific to pastors and ministry leaders in this unique season?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, the main causes of this, and you're right, it's, it's actually increased a lot for pastors, that all the stats are showing that. I think lack of routine. So, you know, pastors have been in a routine for years, they've been used to this pattern, this rhythm of life, and now it's all gone. Yeah. You know, there aren't Sunday services in some cases. Some weeks there are, some weeks there aren't. It goes yeah. forward, it goes backwards. We're online, we're, we're in person, we've got nothing. That's a really bad scenario for anyone. Our bodies, our minds love rhythm, they love regularity. And when such a major event in our life, the, the, the sort of apex of our week is so shaky and uncertain, that just sends shockwaves through our whole system. Mm. So, um, that understanding that I think trying to use it as an opportunity uh, for recovery rather than what I am seeing a lot of pastors do, which is actually double their efforts. Yeah. So, you know, there's worry, obviously finances are down in most churches Um fears about will people get out of the habit of going to church yeah. and they'll just stop. That's there too. Um, but I think this is an opportunity for us to really um, use it as an opportunity for ourselves, renewal, recovery. I can't do A, B, C. Therefore, why do X, Y, Z? Just accept it as the providence <laughs> of God, as a gift of God. And But that doesn't mean spiritual laziness, because I think it gives us an opportunity to, to really trust in the sovereignty of God. Okay, mm-hmm. I've basically been limited here. Do I really believe in an unlimited God? I cannot visit, I cannot counsel, I cannot minister to people in person, but God can still do that. And therefore, let me pray for that and you know, and encourage people to pray themselves a lot more. So I think routine, renewal, um, Reframing this as a way to learn to trust in the in the providence and sovereignty of God, you know, and really we say we believe in that for salvation. Do we believe in that in terms of providence in the church? And just keep the basics going in life. Keep exercising, keep your sleep pattern going. Uh, socialize as much as you can um, without risking people who are vulnerable. And I think if you can get the, the more routine the better, rhythm the better, uh, that that will give you a foundation.
0: No, oh, that's really, really helpful. I'm I'm curious, just kind of as we start to wind down some personal questions for you about this, this season for you. So these can just kind of be rapid fire, whatever comes to mind for you. But, but tell me about something simple that brings you joy right now. Uh, you know, we're all having like, I've had like, two or three trips that we were really excited about this year that have been canceled. My 40th birthday is coming up. And it looks like it's just going to be me, Tam, and the kids <laughs> celebrating that. So there's been a lot of disappointment this year and not very many big things, quote unquote, that have been able to happen. So what's something simple that brings you joy right now?
1: Birds. The feathered, the feathered kind, of birds. Just, right. you know, it's Matthew 6, therapy really. Um, yeah. But my, my little boy, my seven-year-old, he got really into birds just before the schools closed in March. And that carried on, and it really opened my eyes to the number of little birds, big birds all around us here. And so I really just take some time to just watch and enjoy the variety of little birds. I love that. It
0: helps anxiety. Yeah, definitely. What's, what's something that you've read or listened to recently that has inspired you?
1: Well, I've been, I've been working through deep work. by Carl Newport and digital minimalism yeah wonderful and really seriously taking notes on it and initiating some of these things that I felt were there to a degree but now have to be there to a much higher degree and uh, already been reaping the benefit of that even today
0: good what's uh what's something that you're working on or thinking through right now that makes you feel alive
1: Yeah, I started a little podcast um, a few months ago called Living the Bible, and it's just a short five-minute exposition of scripture with a practical application. It's forced me into the Bible, it's forced me to be brief, which is not easy for a prof or a pastor, Um, but I found that just really renewing in my own study of scripture and you had some good feedback on it too, so that's been really encouraging.
0: Good, good. We'll link all that up in our show notes as well. Uh, last yeah. question is: what, what would what would be your best piece of advice to the average person who is living through this very unique year?
1: Get outside. Get outside in as green and as blue a place as you can. Let's go so maximum trees and grass and flowers, maximum sky and water. These are, and and walking through that, uh, there's there's an interesting amount of sciences and books actually about walking, both secular and spiritual that are coming out, a greatly underestimated form of therapy. Um, Mm. And so you've got the, the physical therapy, you've got visual therapy, you've got smell therapy, you've got ear therapy, There's a lot feeding into us when we do that. And again, it goes back to Matthew 6. I think that's what Jesus was saying there. He was saying, get outside and get some creation therapy.
0: Well, David, you are uh, an almost endless well of, uh, of good advice and wisdom. And so thanks for writing these books and continuing to, you know, you don't, I know that you don't have to uh, throw yourself into these projects that you do, but I think that you've done the church as a whole, a great service by continuing to press this conversation forward. And I'm always thankful for the time that you give me to have a conversation with me. So thanks so much for doing this.
1: Ryan I always enjoy chatting with you I find you a very authentic transparent guy I appreciate it, and I believe it really helps people it helps your congregation your family and pray you'll, you'll be a model to others for that as well thanks for having me in the room